Dad in the Rock presents a weekly Mandalorian review. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Hey, uh, it's finally happened. The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. It's come out. And we've seen it, at least the first two episodes. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy. They didn't make us wait. They didn't drop it all on us, but they gave us a you know one day or two days to go ahead and stew on the first one and be in anticipation for the second. Yeah, so this, uh, for you Dad and Rock folks, um, this is going to be a special edition podcast uh, separate from the Dad and Rock podcast where we discuss uh, just the Mandalorian uh, on a weekly basis as it comes out and, and releases week to week uh, over the next uh, eight weeks, I believe, on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, we didn't want to you know flood you guys with just the Mandalorian on a regular one, so we'll give you this one here and we'll have the other one that's kind of separate that'll be released in the same schedule, so you get double of us. Lucky you. Yeah. So, um, what were your initial thoughts kind of coming out of that first episode back on Tuesday? Uh, it, was, it was fun. I mean, it was pretty much what I expected because they were really good on setting the expectation correctly for that first episode. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I know uh, I watched the Monday Night Football game, so at halftime, uh, Disney went ahead and gave us basically that first maybe five minutes or so of in the actual cantina when we seen the Mandalorian walk through the door. I had that confrontation, and then it pretty much stopped at the bar itself. So right. I had an idea of what we were going into it, but at the pacing, it was it it was a, an old school western. I mean, it was what we wanted. It was that grittiness. It was that old school feel. That's pretty much the easiest way I can go ahead and you know wrap it up in you know a little bow here. Yeah, I think um, how I kind of um, I might even have mentioned it on the last podcast, but. This just feels like 70s Star Wars, like the old stuff that you and I were um, uh, kind of fans of initially uh, with the first. Well, you kind of started up your, your fandom right around the prequels, I think. Um, but I, this reminded me of popping in those old VHS tapes, <laughs> the the original trilogy, kind of popping them in and, and watching you know Luke and, and Obi-Wan on Tatooine. Like, it really had that feel. Um, and it seems like um, the setting for these first uh, episodes or at least a majority of it are on kind of that same desert planet uh surroundings uh, we're not sure if it's actually tatooine yet um the jury's still kind of out th- on that i don't think they've even mentioned a, a name of this desert planet yeah no they've been on that one there on that same episode they were on well they started on like the ice planet which i mean in all intents and purposes the only one we know really is, is hoth yeah but uh i mean they like you said they didn't name either of the two planets uh, they just went one to another. Usually they were really good at like labeling the planets when you kind of flew into them. Right. Uh, in this instance here, they didn't tell us either uh, what the planets are. Yeah, so, I'm, so far I'm really enjoying the vibe of this show overall. It's uh, It really reminds me of kind of uh, an old w- Western uh, serial. Now, I of course, I wasn't alive back in the uh, the 40s and 50s where westerns kind of had their heyday and they even had like you know shows on television and stuff like bonanza but um it really kind of has has these vibes of this uh just like this uh, this hero this uh, man with no name that we follow on his adventures and i mean even during the end credits it kind of gives you these little paintings of what went on during that episode and uh, I don't know, just between that and the, the musical score and the settings and uh, the characters, like it just really has that kind of old school Western feel that I think, you know, if you if you plop this in front of a guy in his 70s, he'd probably love it. <laughs> yeah, you kind of beat me too with the score. The score yeah. is awesome. I mean, just the, the way that it comes in. And that was one thing. Uh, at first, I was missing. I was missing that, you know, dun, dun, you know, this, the Star Wars thing that gives you that chill right. when you first see it. But just. 
the the new vibe to it, which it was it was refreshing to actually have something a little little different, little new, and a little old, really, when you go back to the look of it. So yeah, in that first scene, you basically we see, you know, the door open up, and we see you know the Mandalorian walk in, you know, and basically there's a a guy in there. He's getting roughed up by this, you know, a few other guys uh, over. They really don't say what's really going on, but it's pretty much it's it's over. And, and come to think of it, it's probably they know that there is a uh, a bounty out on them as well, right? And it's pretty much dead or alive, you know, warm or cold. That's kind of <laughs> I like that line, warm or cold. Yeah, that was a cool phrase uh, in the episode. So uh, yeah, the Mandalorian he walks up to, you know to the bar itself, and he's just standing there and he's ignoring them. He's like, you know what? Come get me. He's got that, that just that like I don't care mentality. So they come up there and he said, you know, you spilled his drink. Yeah. And the bartender takes care of him, gives him a new drink. When he slides the drink over, he grabs it and smashes that dude's head and just beats the snot out of him. And then so one guy tries running away and he gets him. And then everyone's fear comes true. Everyone wants to know what's gonna happen when those doors shut. Right. And it, you know, chopped the dude in half. So it was a, uh, it was kind of satisfying. Oh, for sure. And I don't know who these guys were that they felt that they could uh, mess with the Mandalorian. I mean, the Mandalorians are pretty famous galaxy-wide of being, you know, badasses. So, I, <laughs> And they knew I, who he was, so it's called a Mando. Yeah, they yeah they knew. They definitely knew. So uh, I guess they, they got what was coming to them, and they, they kind of asked for it. But, yeah, that was quite a way to open up uh, the episode. Just, you know, you're very mysterious. The Mandalorian armor and the look is, is somewhat iconic now, and people just kind of associate it with Boba Fett. But um, just the look of this guy is super cool so far. Um, going in, and there's not he's he doesn't have a ton of dialogue. Even throughout the two episodes, he doesn't have a ton of dialogue. Uh, but somehow um, Pedro Pascal is is able to kind of uh, let this guy's personality shine through. Where even after two, you know, fairly short half hour episodes, this guy almost has more personality than Boba Fett ever did in the original trilogy. Yeah, it's the way that they're shooting him, the way that he's carrying himself. Yeah. Uh, just I mean, the way he's walking, you know, just. There's a lot being said, even with just head motions, right? Uh, that can't be even said verbally. So we're getting that feeling like uh, he's on his own level. Like he knows it too. He knows that he can walk anywhere, and if anyone tries to you know confront him, good luck. Yeah, he's definitely a guy that knows what he's doing. You can tell he's been bounty hunting for a while now. He's a professional. Um, and he has somewhat of a, uh, seems like he has somewhat of a code. He's part of this bounty hunters guild, right? Um, where, you know, the bounty hunters in Star Wars, you know, there's been all kinds of comics and, and novels and, and, and the kind of media that's been, uh, surrounding them and the, the kind of underground of the Star Wars galaxy. And it's usually t- typically kind of seedy and, and, you know, they stab each other in the back to get the bounty. Um, but this kind of new iteration shows things a little bit differently where in this first episode, IG-11, um, the character that looks like IG-88 from the original trilogy, uh, voiced by, uh, Taika Waititi, he, uh, they kind of team up in this episode. It kind of comes a little bit later, but it, it kind of surprised me. Like they're working in a professional way, like part of a union where they actually collaborate to, to get the job done. <laughs> yeah. He's a union man and, uh, they get paid higher rates than some of these, uh, these you say not union guys they come in there and come to find out they really don't care if it's a a clean job or not so if it's not clean they can pay less yeah 
So it's, yeah, I mean, it was kind of one of those things that I didn't know what to take of uh, IG-11. Uh, when they first seen him, I was like, okay, is this going to be something that he's going to have to, you know, compete with? Is, is he, is he going to have to take him out to be able to get this bounty? Uh, come to find out they were working for the same guild. And uh, a little further in the episode, though, I think that they find out that they were probably hired by two different people, though. Because they both had two different objectives. One was, oh, right. one was dead or alive. Yeah. One was dead terminate so uh yeah that's a good call i didn't realize that but you're right um ig11 was set just to kill the um well spoiler alert <laughs> if you if you guys haven't watched the uh, first two episodes of uh the mandalorian please just stop the podcast now go and check them out and then come back to us because the rest of the discussion is going to be pretty spoiler heavy uh but anyway yeah the end of the first episode where we see who this bounty is that uh uh, was kind of assigned to the Mandalorian from uh, Werner Herzog <laughs> the, the <laughs> yeah, earlier in the episode. Yeah, yeah. the client. Uh, he was a pretty cool presence, wasn't he? Surrounded by those dirty storm uh, stormtroopers. Oh yeah, because you even seen he had like a necklace on that had like uh, the old Empire uh, logo in it. So he was he had to have been some type of governor or 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 a moth or something down those lines that's still holding on, trying to you know hold power in the outer rim because everyone that's kind of where the empire scattered to yeah they all scattered to the outer you know the outer rim in the wild space almost to go ahead and kind of figure out who's going to take the lead so that's kind of the feeling i got from that that he had some type of higher rank or higher uh standing inside the empire and that's why he still had the actual uh stormtroopers with him as like some type of protection Right. So earlier in the episode, I mean, the Mandalorian, he, he grabs this bounty from this cantina where they kind of open up at. And uh, this bounty that he collects, he, it's a, it's an alien, clearly some sort of amphibian alien or something. And he's uh, he's actually played by Horatio Sands, a guy that used to be on SNL for many years. Uh, he used to do a lot of skits with Jimmy Fallon. But uh, you could kind of tell that after the fact, like he was kind of running his mouth the whole time trying to get out of the situation that he was in. Um, but yeah, the Mandalorian actually does uh, some carbonite freezing in the convenience and comfort of his own ship <laughs> which uh you know back in the empire strikes back those days which was probably about 10 years prior to when this takes place in the star wars galaxy boy you had to have a pretty elaborate setup to put anything in carbonite but now it looks like uh the bounty hunters can just do it uh, in their own ship pretty pretty easily kind of like an easy bake oven <laughs> yeah that's right i guess it's something that really caught on um after uh, vader and boba fett did it for the first time to, like, to oh, take solo the easy way to store people and you know and transport them <laughs> yeah keep them quiet especially yeah, I, this guy yeah I, I would say probably one word of advice to the mandalorian keep your hand out of there <laughs> really yeah that thing uh <laughs> it's like oh that's cold yeah yeah right all of a sudden you're a part of it too now you can't move <laughs> you've got an issue <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah i mean it was it's pretty cool seeing how many that were there like he had a a stockpile of like four or five of them before he got this you know the yeah the latest guy the guy that we seen him catch uh, when he went to turn them all in so he takes that bounty back to um you know who hired him for it and he, he goes into this little um this this other bar where lo and behold sitting there waiting for him is not other than uh apollo creed himself uh yeah, carl grief weathers cargo. yeah what's uh what's his character's name in the show grief cargo right that's right um and i thought he had a great presence too man i you know 
of course I see him and I think Apollo, but that went away really quickly, especially now that he's a bit older and um, he's got this real kind of uh, this gravelly voice and you can kind of understand that this guy's seeing some things himself. And uh, he treats the Mandalorian with some reverence and they're kind of treat each other in a very professional way. Uh, but he mentions that, like, I guess business is kind of on the on the decline when it comes to bounty hunting. Yeah, and, it's a, and he also treats them like he knows he's the best. Right. Like, your rates are going to be higher because you, you can charge higher because your, your reputation kind of uh, it's there. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's like, okay, I'm going to go hire this scumbag over here in the corner. It's going to cost me a quarter of what I'm, you know. I'm gonna pay you. He's gonna. He wanted to take all the pucks. Like I was like a bunch more pucks that were out there. It was like four or five. He's like, I'm gonna take them all. He's Come like, to whoa, I, I cannot do that. Like you need to share the uh, little bit of food here for everybody. And uh, but yeah, I feel like he knew that the Mandalorian could go out there and bring these guys back in pretty quick. Yeah, and I mean, he even said, I mean, how much you know the best one pay? And it was only like five hundred or something like that. He's like, that yeah. doesn't even cover fuel. Yeah. Um, so times are tough in these uh, the post empire world here, where uh, the New Republic is uh, kind of gaining um, across the galaxy, and and hopefully you, you would think that things are settling after the fall of the empire, but uh, it seems like it's far from it. There's kind of a power vacuum, and some uh, some other folks that were uh, within the empire, kind of strongholds, and kind of holding out uh, in these few years after Return of the Jedi. Um, and this, part of that is, uh, you know, some of that stuff is what I was really looking forward to seeing in this show. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to see any type of characters or anything that we're uh, familiar with through the Aftermath series. Uh, mm. The books that basically take place the exact same time frame. Yes. Uh, that, I mean, it's I mean, it's it's all there. So, yeah. I mean, they've, they've got some actual like actual material already written that they can kind of play off a little bit. Now, I would want them to stay away from it predominantly. I mean, we already have a lot of like material out there already from the Aftermath series. So, I mean, we can kind of dip into that, but we don't need to see a whole lot of it because they can, they can kind of act separate of each other because, you know, the world that was built that they're working in is so large. Uh, but I mean, we kind of see some things and you know, if there's maybe some other people that are hired from, you know, other moths and uh, other things, you know, other people in the Empire ranks. If we're already seeing, say, uh, the client who we think, who I think is the next moth or yeah. governor of some sort, he's got that power struggle inside that world that was already written about in the Aftermath series. Right. Yeah, that's a good call. I didn't realize. I forgot that Aftermath series took place so close to this where it kind of leads up to the Battle of Jakku. And I think maybe this is just maybe a year or two after the Battle of Jakku uh, when the Mandalorian takes place. Um, but, I mean, it's a big galaxy, man. And, and it seems like... Um, so far, it seems like the um, this bounty hunter, the Mandalorian, may be kind of working ar around the outer rim, but really there's no telling. It's kind of funny how, how close to the vest they've been keeping these locations. Like, where are we even in the Star Wars galaxy? Yeah, we have no idea. I mean, it, like I said, it could be somewhere we already know. I mean, we're seeing characters like Jawas, yeah. which is awesome to be, you know, but we don't know if Jawas are prevalent on other planets, other desert planets, or if they're only native to Tatooine. Yeah. So um, I mean, and I, I can see them being like because you see different races kind of spread throughout the galaxy, right? And so far, we've only seen Jawas on Tatooine, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they haven't kind of spread their people across different, you know, desert planets, like you said, because they got a good thing going on. Like they know how to scavenge, right? And these desert planets seem to be like um, ripe for scavenging and and kind of doing what they do. So um, it may not be Tatooine, but yeah, it's it's kind of kind of crazy that we don't know too much about uh, where the Mandalorian has been operating so far 
Yeah, I mean, they're eventually they're going to let us know. We're, they're they're yeah, gonna, yeah. they're going to say we're here or we're there, uh, or someone's going to figure it out. Something something's going to be leaked. We'll we'll figure it out in, in due time. I don't think it's very important, really. So uh, you know, he he heads to this town. He takes this bounty right where there's not a puck, there's not a picture. He doesn't have any information to go off besides to the bounty is some fifty year old. And here's a little tracking device that's going to beep when you get closer to him, right? And here's the last known location, which they don't tell us, the audience. So you know, the Mandalorian gets there. He meets this Ugnot, this little race of uh, this you know this guy voiced by Nick Nolte. I love Ugnots. They're my yeah. favorite characters in the in Star Wars anymore. <laughs> yeah, and he's um, I think his name is Kuil. Uh, that's what the way it looks like it's spelled. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. But yeah, they only, I think they only pronounced it maybe once in the show, and it was when he was introducing himself, and then he said, "I have spoken," and that was it. <laughs> yeah, he has a great presence too. I mean, Nick Nolte, you can kind of take him or leave him as far as um, you know, an actor and his behavior is, is kind of. <laughs> Become you can like separate a, the two, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can separate them, uh, Nick Nolte's kind of kind of crazy, but uh, boy, he he kind of knocked it out of the park with with his uh, characterization of this guy. Like great voiceover work, and like you get who this character is right away. Like he tells Mando, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna help you out, um, but make no mistake, it's not because I'm being nice. It's because I want you and all of these people out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I just want this place he wants to be peace in his valley. Him. Yeah. Um, which I really respected, and like you, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the the new slogan, the new catchphrase. I have spoken. That's gonna. I've heard that more times in the last uh, from the last two episodes. Uh, I feel people have kind of uh, clammed onto that. Every time I hear it, I smile. It's 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 kind of like his way of a uh, let it be written, let it be done type setup. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, he, he helps him out, and he he tells him where this bounty is located in this sort of this little stronghold or this uh, little village. And uh, the Mandalorian, you know, he makes his way there uh, eventually after learning how to ride. Um, what was the uh, that the, the name of the creature they they were riding? They're riding Blurgs. Blurgs, yeah, a new a new creature in the Star Wars canon. I th- it was pretty cool looking, I thought. Yeah, and it, it was one of those things too when he was like, "Okay, I'll go ahead and I'll pay you half or something." He said half. That's all I want to be paid. Yeah. And then Mandalorian's thinking, "Okay, he's got to pay him half the bounty." He's like, "Oh yeah, that's way too high." But he's like, "No, half the Blurgs." So he, basically, he kept one of the Blurgs, which I think you know, Mandalorian would give him both of them. He didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of funny how that that worked out. But he, he, you know, before he rolls into this town, he happens to catch glimpse of IG Eleven uh, doing the same thing, kind of strolling in. And uh, it's so funny. Uh, and another instance of Pedro Pascal's somehow giving great acting through a mask, just with like body movements. But you could tell that uh, the Mandalorian isn't too thrilled to see an IG unit down there. <laughs> oh no, he hates droids. I mean, this goes yeah. back to when they first called the uh, the land speeder to go ahead and get him to his ship when he got that you know that That's first right. uh, bounty. He was like, I want one without a droid. Yep. So he called the other one up that uh, that looked like it was probably about eighty years old, barely running. But yeah, I think there's something that's happened between him and droids that they have not led on to yet that he just does not trust a droid. I thought this IG-11 character was pretty 
pretty great too. So far, they've been doing really great with the introduction of these characters. I thought they've they're almost like immediately classic Star Wars. But yeah, Taika Waititi doing the voice of this IG Eleven character. How like you know there may be three or four times throughout this skirmish where he thinks that self destruct. Yeah, where he kind of pulls out a thermal <laughs> detonator and he's like, well, you know, I can't be captured, so I'm gonna blow myself up. And thermal detonators are no joke. So Mandalorian would definitely be taken out with them. <laughs> yeah, Mandal- Mandalorian is like, no, hold on, no, stop that. <laughs> yeah, wait, we're not doing that. Yeah, hold on, put that on hold. <laughs> uh, I thought that was really funny, but yeah, I think you kind of missed something there too a little bit when uh, the Mandalorian was learning how to ride the Blurg, like um, how like Cole was like you mentioned how the 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 whole myth behind the Mandalorians and how they used to ride the Mythsars. And like, okay, you can get on that. He kind of like played to his ego almost. It's like if, oh, yeah. if your ancestors could have rode that, right? You can ride this. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, um, it's funny that the um, that Kuil Nick Nolte's um, character, Agnon character, how how well versed he is in, in Mandalorian mythology. Like he seems to have somewhat of a like a reverence and a respect for the Mandalorian culture. Yeah. So you can. Yeah, he said I've never met one before. Yeah. But he knows what they're capable of yeah so he's like once he's seen him like okay you're gonna solve my problem i've got no doubt about it i just got to get you there right um so i mean i don't want to gloss over this epic battle sequence like in this town um but it was really great i mean just the way it was staged just the uh, kind of the uh, the buddy action cop uh, dialogue between the Mandalorian and the IG-11 unit to try to like get through the skirmish and kill the bad guys and finally get to their bounty. Um, how he hopped onto that turret gun and um, just kind of took everybody out. Yeah, he just kind of mowed them all down. Yeah, and then they used the same turret gun to actually get the blast door down. Um, I thought it was really cool stuff. But yeah, anyway, this all kind of leads into them actually finding the bounty. And um, it's a huge surprise at the end of the episode. It's a, uh, well, it's, everybody's been calling it a baby Yoda, but it's it's definitely, most definitely not Yoda. Well, I've, I've heard some crazy theories. I've, I've, heard, yeah. I've heard some things out there where people are, uh, fan theories of it could be a clone, because it falls down the lines of, you know, the Clone Wars and everything. Right. But we don't see, we don't know a whole lot, you know, what goes into it. All we know of is Yoda, and we know of, uh, is it Yaddle? Yeah. She was the other one on the actual uh, the council. And the only thing we can think of, I mean, the only thing that makes sense is if there was some, like, you know, force and chill happening between those two. <laughs> Man, I can't imagine, but who knows? I mean, <laughs> who knows what was going down? I've been the... saving that line all day. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean... We don't Boy, would, wouldn't that be messed up, though, if, like, they give Anakin all this crap for having a relationship, and meanwhile, like, Obi-Wan has had his, old, his own fling, and, and Yoda back behind the scenes, and Yaddle were having their, like you said, uh, force and chill. Boy, that'd be some messed up stuff. If they just <laughs> talk to each other, if they just would have had a beer at the cantina and actually talked truthfully to each other, we never would have had Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but we know nothing about him. We don't know the planet we're from all we know is dagobah because that's where he hides we don't know his original origins we don't know nothing about his race we don't know what his race is called i mean this is opening up a world of star wars that i think everyone's kind of been uh wanting some answers to for a long time since 1980 i mean people have been asking what are or what are the 
origins of Yoda, what are his species since Empire came out and we were introduced to him as a character. I mean, people thought for the longest time, well, maybe he's from Dagobah, but the only reason he went to Dagobah is because it was so saturated in the dark side of the Force, it was kind of to mask his presence there. It's easy to hide there, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, um, and it's been a question that's been asked ever since, and for them to um, kind of introduce this new baby character. Maybe we'll actually finally get some answers as to, to what this race is. Could you imagine a whole planet of Yodas? No, I can't. And something tells me that maybe they are almost like, um, like well, I don't know a better way to say it, but maybe like an endangered species. Like, you know, kind of how Superman was the last Kryptonian. Like, maybe there's just not a ton of the species out there because you don't really see them besides yeah, they're Yeah, they're nowhere else. He was the only one we ever seen in the species outside of Yaddle. And she was only in, I think, the first... I mean, episode one. Right. I think she was even in on the show and on the council beyond that. You know that movie. Yeah. So I mean, and they never they never explained it away on why she was no longer there. It was just okay. We're moving on. There's no someone else in that seat. And that would kind of feed into why this baby is important. Um, I mean, not only we learn in the second episode that it's force sensitive. It's like very force sensitive oh, for, yeah. for a baby. Um, but I mean, if it was a part of a precious species that there aren't too many out there, I could see why the Empire would want to get to it. I wonder if it's something just with the species itself. If it's one of those things that there are so few of them, no matter, you know when they are always going to be force sensitive unlike right. say with like uh, say humans or uh twi'leks or any of those where it's maybe one in a million that have that you know that force ability this this type of race here always has that you know ability yeah i mean i think that's fair to speculate on we've only seen three of them in uh live action star wars so far and all three of them have been pretty darn force sensitive <laughs> yeah yeah well you kind of led into it where we've seen how force uh how strongly the force he was i mean we're kind of rolling into the second episode here yeah uh where you know the mandalorian has had his ship that was sitting there after he went and you know did his whole you know battle thing and found his uh his quarry and he comes back and his ship is stripped by little jawas yeah, dude. <laughs> Utini. Yeah, it, that was quite a surprise, wasn't it? Oh yeah, man. They didn't just strip it; they stripped it. There oh, was not... I mean, hey, it's what they do. Oh man, and he started like incinerating them. Boom, they were gone. Boom, they were gone. Like little, I, little, little I, robes I, popping off everywhere. I, I, yeah, I gotta tell, talk to you about that. I mean, he he used that rifle of his. This just awesome looking. Um, kind of long rifle that was actually a part that Boba Fett had that gun in the holiday special. I don't know if you've seen. I've that. never seen. I've never heard anything good about it, so I've kind yeah. of stayed away. Well, here's the thing. So when Boba Fett, Boba Fett was first introduced, he was introduced in the Star Wars holiday special in this uh, short segment, this cartoon, this animated thing that was only maybe about seven minutes long. Um, but he had this rifle with like this kind of tuning fork end to it, and he never had it in, in the movies. Um, so for them to bring that weapon back as like like almost like the Mandalorian's prime weapon that he uses, yeah, um, it disintegrates him. You can see like it disintegrates these Jawas when he fires his rifle at him, and he's, it's kind of a slow load, right? Like he has to like put in these cartridges each yeah. time, and uh, it's funny because you know we finally get to see it. It was kind of alluded to back in Empire Strikes Back, where um, Vader tells Boba Fett, you know, no disintegrations. Um, we finally get to see what that looks like in the oh, Mandalorian. Oh, <laughs> okay. I like how you connected the dots there because I didn't do that. Yeah. yeah something about this episode I really liked. And, and it kind of harkens back to my enjoyment of like the Die Hard series. 
He got his butt kicked the whole episode. He does, and dude, I love that. Like, you mentioned Die Hard, and I think that's perfect. I was thinking um, kind of like um, Indiana Jones, just how, like, okay. Indiana Jones gets the job done, but he gets his butt kicked throughout the, the whole way. time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was beating up these Jawas, but these Jawas weren't rolling over. Oh, no. And then they knock him off the top of their uh, their sand crawler, and that's right. a long fall. <laughs> And then he basically walks away, like, defeated. Like, he probably doesn't feel that feeling very often of defeat. And he, you can tell he kind of felt it. It was like, man, this this is a shot to his ego. Yeah, and I really think that we got our first glimpse at this uh, Baby Yoda character being Force-sensitive. We didn't see him doing uh, too much, but it's my theory that the this baby used some sort of uh, force healing technique um on the mandalorian after that fall because that was a hard fall he was mm -hmm. shocked and stunned from uh, the electricity he was shot with from the jawas and for him just just kind of pop up after a few minutes i mean it was it wasn't nighttime and there were no transitions or anything it was still mm -hmm. like bright daytime when he woke up i'm pretty sure that the this baby did some force healing technique which which is a thing and um you know, I've always theorized that it's what Obi-Wan did uh, when Luke was kind of knocked out from the Tusken Raiders in the original Star Wars. Uh, Obi-Wan kind of comes up and, and places his hand over Luke's forehead mm -hmm. when you initially see him. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a trick that this baby somehow... Uh, well, the baby you know, was trying to do it the whole time. He was trying to use that, uh, that like, like stitch kit on his arm. Yeah, he kept yeah. on standing up or getting out and kind of putting his hand up like he was going to you know, help him heal him. Right, and the Mandalorian. He had no idea what was going on. His baby just keeps on getting out of his crib. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna lock him in there. Right. You know, uh, he's like, I had enough of this. Click. <laughs> so yeah, that essentially happens to the Mandalorian. I mean, he pops up, he wakes up um, after just being trounced by the Jawas, and I, I kind of noticed in the episode at this point, like the first half of this episode almost dude there's like no dialogue you're just watching this thing he, he's got um you know he's got his bounty um the, there's the score in there that's going he's he's kind of walking through the desert land um he gets in that scuffle with those trandoshan group with you know they look like bosk or whatever uh he takes them out after a fight um and then finally he gets attacked by the jawas i mean if you count utini and the jawas yelling as dialogue i guess that counts <laughs> yeah it counts of course but i mean there's really kind of all just kind of silent sound effects and score um throughout the first half of this episode until he kind of you know with his uh licking his wounds he kind of makes his way back to um you know nick nolte's uh, ugnot character yeah i mean that's that's a sign of a great a great show though if yeah. you can go that long with no dialogue and it just straight just the show itself, I mean, and you, you're keeping their attention, That that's awesome. But, yeah, when you get back, he gets back to the call, or however we're going to learn how to pronounce his name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he tells him, whoa, we'll go trade. You will go back to the Jawas, and we'll trade to get your pieces back. And that but basically he shows up, and they see him on the back of the uh, the Blurg, kind of on the, on the trailer. Yes. And they start freaking out. They're picking up their guns. They, they remember being, you know, their friends being incinerated. Right. And then he got to, he, he's got to learn how to you know, put his weapon down. But he basically says, you know, a Mandalorian is his weapon. Yeah. So he has a hard time parting with it. Even his blaster that's on his hip. So he has to put it all down and sit down and uh, humble himself a little bit in front of these little guys to go ahead and get his stuff back. Yeah, he's lucky that Ugnot was there to not only, you know, put talk some sense into him about getting his ships 
parts back, but being this mediator in between the two parties, between the Jawas and uh, the Mandalorian there. Uh, but it was so funny to watch Mando just have kind of like a, uh, just a short fuse with them, um, how the, the Jawas were like laughing at him about how bad his uh, Jawa speak was, how he sounded like a Wookiee, and they just started <laughs> laughing at him and making fun of him. And he was like, you know, well, how does this sound? And then he just <laughs> roast, roast the one with his flamethrower like right there. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. So they go back and forth, and they said there's got to be something that they can go ahead and, uh, you know, bargain with. Something they can, you know, go find that, that right. would be equal to the both of them. And they mentioned Beskar, because they meant they, they noticed his actual, his armor. Yeah. They said there's absolutely no way he's parting with this armor. It's something that is specific to the Mandalorians and the, and the planet. And, you know, it's one of those rare metals, like irons, that was basically mined off the planet. It was one of those that... They said that it, was, it happened, or they took it all during, like, say, the Great Purge. Right. We really kind of know of Order 66. Okay. So the, so the Emperor kind of went in there and said, you know what? I want all this metal. We're taking it all. We're going to do what was, you know, with it what we please. So they're in the process of actually, you know, getting it back or getting it back just for, they say, their armors, and they continue on with what they have. Yeah, and that was uh, actually a pretty great part and introduction in the first episode where the client had given Mando um, some of this uh, Beskar uh, metal as kind of a down payment towards this bounty, um, which immediately Mandalorian takes to this uh, smith, this Mandalorian smith and his little his little guild, his group there, um, that forges it into a piece for his shoulder, a new piece of armor, uh, to replace the one that had been damaged early in the episode. I thought it was just a great introduction about how important... Uh, um, the Mandalorian's armor is, their weapons, and specifically this Beskar metal, which I guess is very special to their home planet and, and their people as a group and how how rare it is these days. Well, that kind of leads me to a question about him himself, the Mandalorian. Is yeah. he, by birth, a Mandalorian? Because you know, the, the Mandalorians pass on their actual armor from family member to family member, and it just melted down, that melted down and reforged for that person. Oh, okay. Since he doesn't have all this armor in the Beskar, it, it makes me question if he is actually by birth a Mandalorian. Wow. And, yeah, that's funny. And it also goes back to the flashbacks. The flashbacks don't look like you know. It to me, it almost doesn't look like he's from there. It's, it looks like it's there's something else going on. There's some type of like revolution or something going on. And they don't look like they're fighting. They're running. They're running scared. I don't. Yeah. I, don't I don't think of a Mandalorian uh, running scared. They're only picking up arms and fighting. Right. But it also kind of signals back to the the signet. We were talking about the uh, the lady that was actually making his armor. Yeah. The shoulder card for me. She asked about his signet, his call sign, his family. Uh, he hasn't revealed it yet. So I think mm -hmm. for me, there was a lot of things within that little scene that actually uh, opened up or like is left to be answered i should say oh yeah they were laying down some mystery for sure in that first episode and um i, I can't wait to learn more and more and more about this character um and i mean in regards to his armor we, you and i kind of talked about this on the last uh dad rock episode but i was thinking well of course he's gonna uh, pull off his helmet at one point but uh, so far, after two episodes, we have not seen the face of Pedro Pascal. I kind of uh, like that. I like the mystery. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to. I mean, we're to the point now. If he takes it off, that's fine. But I mean, we left it on long enough for him to gain that 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 feeling with it on. And we know, you know, with it on, don't mess with him. Yeah. But I think that I've read somewhere somewhere that after the whole purge and everything happened on the planet, 
It's one of those things that the Mandalorians don't take off their helmets. Right. Even Cole mentioned it. The Mandalorians don't take off their helmets. Yeah. So it's even referenced to in the first episode. So I don't know how long we're going to go before he takes it off. I think it's inevitable. Yeah. But uh, I like how they're kind of keeping that mystery the way it is right now rather than just kind of spilling the beans. Oh, yeah, because as we learn more and more about this character, I mean, this guy is a Mandalorian through and through. I mean, he may not be of the people initially, but he buys into the culture all the way. I mean, this guy it does what he can for that small guild that he's in. Uh, he has such reverence for the armor itself and the weapon, the way he talks, the way he acts, the way he defends himself as a Mandalorian and their culture. Um, he's not going to, like, willy-nilly take off the helmet. Like, I thought, you know, going in, I thought maybe he the guy could have been just kind of like a rogue. You know what I mean? You don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe he just gets in his ship and he, he kicks off his boots and he takes off his helmet. But, no, this guy is all about the Mandalorian, and their culture, and their religion. Um, and I think if his helmet comes off, it, it may be where it's forcibly taken off. Where Or, or it's broken. Or it's broken, and it's, yeah. It needs to be repaired. Yeah, it's not going to be by choice. I almost wonder if by the end of the season he's going to be broken down to where um, he's kidnapped or stolen, and 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 these pieces, this the uh, even the piece that we saw forged in the first episode somehow leaves him, and he has to rebuild. But I don't they know. That's all speculation. They show a uh, like a preview or something him with a female character. Yes. So I feel like it's going to be off in some type of instance like that. So it didn't seem like that was being that was a forced upon situation. Right. So uh, we don't know who this female character is. There's a lot of characters that have yet to be introduced into the series uh, yeah. that we've been uh, kind of teased. So we don't know how much we're going to get from each of these. Right. Yeah. So the Jawas. I mean, at Jawas. first they want they want uh, the best car. Of course, that's not going to happen. Uh, you and I kind of went in depth about why that's not <laughs> happening. Um, so then they're like, "Well, give us the bounty." Well, that's not happening either. No way. Um, so third, they offer they kind of you know have a little group huddle there, and they're thinking like, "Ah, oh, what do we want? What do we want?" And uh, what do they ask for? Egg, 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 <laughs> egg, egg. What the crap is this egg? <laughs> yeah, I want yeah. an omelet. <laughs> I don't know what they were saying, but yeah, the subtitle said the egg. At first, and I think, well, maybe it's some kind of like this special Fabergé egg, this this treasure, um, and that's what you're kind of thinking about. But yeah, I mean, we see the Mandalorian then step up to this cave um, where he kind of goes into it, and he sees this huge beast, this like rhinoceros-looking hairy beast um, that really kind of takes it out of the... I mean, the Mandalorian would not have won this fight he would not have survived if not for um you know the baby yoda coming in and, and doing what he did oh he lifted him up he took all of his energy to do it he's kind of held him there yeah and then dropped him and then when he dropped him he gave the, the mando basically the the go-to to go ahead and get this thing in the neck with whatever he got him with and it, it was over and they went there and he found this this egg but it but it took everything out of this little yoda character and basically it slept all the way to the very like last maybe 10 seconds oh it really took it out of him yeah and it it reminded me when when yoda used to be able to like when he would do like feats of huge efforts of of force wielding whether it be when he was fighting the emperor in revenge of the sith or even just like moving the x-wing in uh empire strikes back yeah i was i was thinking of the 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 x-wing out of the the bog or this you, you could see and i thought maybe it was because he was old but maybe it's just like the race to where it's like they have such this such this huge pool of the force to where it's such like a huge um, 
uh, almost like the force kind of is channeled through them, and by the end of it, they're just like exhausted. Because Yoda, he used to have to like grab his cane afterwards, and you could tell he was just like wore out. <laughs> well, it could be just the pure mass of the object they're lifting as well. Yeah, that could I mean, be. I mean, when it comes down to the, the X-Wing, this Rhino, I mean, if you're looking at the, the Clone Wars series, when it's in a, a, a rock slide, yeah. you know, all this, all these things that Yoda has, uh, has been known to stop and be able to move with the Force, everything right. is massive. So, I mean, that by itself is enough to go ahead and, you know, uh, exhaust somebody to the point where, okay, I'm going to take a nap for a few days. Screw this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and I don't want to gloss over this scene. Um, kind of how I mentioned the uh, the battle with IG-11 in the first episode. I mean, this was a huge action scene, which I thought was like incredibly well done. Just the staging and the special effects of this creature. Um, how he was like just tossing around the Mandalorian in the mud like a rag doll. Yeah, his armor was beat up pretty bad. It was nothing that looked like he was walking away with this... Uh in good shape he was muddy he was nasty yeah I it was, was awesome. it was pretty awesome seeing just the, just a butt kicking he got in this fight <laughs> and then he goes in he grabs the egg and in my head i'm still thinking like well this is going to be some like sacred egg um some special thing that that for the jawa culture where they're gonna it's going to be revered um but anyway he kind of takes it to him and what do they do with it they just bust it open and start eating it. They start eating it like Winnie the Pooh eating some honey out of a jar, man. I mean, they were going at it. That's Well, they almost gave up on him. <laughs> they were closing up shop and getting ready to leave. Yeah. The next thing you know, he's walking up here with this egg, and they, they just go crazy and run up to it, chop the top off, and just start digging their hands into it. Apparently, it's a Jawa delicacy, man. I mean, they were pumped. Oh, man. Yeah, but he got all his gear back. Yeah. And they went back to the ship, uh, him and Carl, and they are like, this is going to take forever. And he said, well, if you help me, it won't. <laughs> I've spoken. <laughs> yeah, he's like, look, I mean, you're my guest. I mean, the Mandalorian was really trying. Like, man, i got to pay you something. Man, yeah, I can use to you give something. on my ship. Like, you'd be a tremendous help, like, if you want to join my crew and, like, just kind of pal around with me. Like, the Mandalorian was, like, down to, like, start a relationship with this dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, let's, come on, you're pretty awesome. Yeah, and this guy was like, like, no, I'm doing this because you're my guest and... You know, you know, I'm here. He worked to a long time to, 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 to be free, right? Exactly. So what happened in his past that makes him want to be, you know, to be free like this? What is there a history that we haven't actually learned from? Well, we don't know any of his history, right? But uh, anything that's happened in his past that would have keeping kept him there rather than you know, take this adventure. And I love that the Mandalorian just kind of accepted that. Like, yeah, I mean, I get it. And, uh, I mean, the only thing I can offer you is my thanks. And that was enough for uh, for this Quill character. And um, So, yeah, his ship is fixed. He's got the uh, baby Yoda species in tow in, in there in the cockpit with him, who finally wakes up from its long nap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's and how the second We have no idea where they're going. He may be yeah. going back to, you know, to deliver his, his quarry and get paid. Uh, something tells me he's not. I don't and I don't know where in the galaxy he's going to be going that he can find you know a safe place for because he knows that he's not the only bounty hunter that was hired to go ahead and take care of this after yeah. he ran into IG eleven, right? So um, now he now he's marked because he has this character this, this little baby. Yeah, and you can tell. I mean, this Mandalorian guy he he does what he can, um, but he's also fairly honorable. Um, and I don't think he likes the idea of like handing over a baby or a child to uh, this clearly ex-imperial uh, guy, the client, or yeah. Werner Herzog. 
Um, and he even said so in, in the initial, in the first episode. He said, you know, he's got kind of a soft spot for orphans because I guess he was one at one point. Um, so yeah, this is going to be interesting. Episode three, where this leads into. Gotta wait a week, man. They suck. <laughs> I know. So what are what are your kind of your your main thoughts here about our first two episodes of The Mandalorian? I can't get enough. I've already watched episode one twice. I'm probably gonna watch episode two again. Yeah. Uh, just trying to pick up on as much as I can. Any Easter eggs that are in there? We didn't even get into the possibility of Boba Fett being in episode one. That's a whole different world. If oh, you don't boy. know anything. You didn't even you didn't know anything about that. Well, I I saw the other Mandalorians that he kind of walked past in that hallway when he went to go get his art new armor. But uh, yeah, there yeah, there's a theory out there. If you freeze frame one shot, it looks like Boba Fett standing in the shadows. Wow, I so, I I think eventually they're going to have to address what happened with Boba Fett. They're going to give a finality to it one way or the other. Yeah, but uh, I mean, there's that. I mean, there's a lot of things. I, honestly, I am blown away. I was hoping. I've been in the past, and we've talked about this on the you know, our normal Dad and Rock show. Yeah, uh, I set the bar high for too much, and I get let down because I set the bar too high to start with, and then it grows on me over time. This one here, I, I feel like I set the bar high. Disney themselves set yeah. this bar real high, and they had so much faith in this. Yeah, and they have not disappointed. I got to give them a hundred percent credit where credit is doing this instance, dude. It's half of their marketing. I mean, for the launch of Disney plus, I mean, the only two bits of marketing I've seen are either the Mandalorian or Avengers Endgame. Come see Disney plus for the Mandalorian or Avengers Endgame. And, and <laughs> I mean, it's got a ton more content on there, but uh, that's what they're really promoting. That's what they're going for. And they know just the, 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 you know, the amount of star Wars fans, that have been dying for a live action television show oh, is years. enough to go ahead and you know drive this home to start with. I actually I ran into someone at work that she had a Star Wars shirt on, mm-hmm. and just out of you know, just making conversation, I asked her if she, I mean a stupid question. Is he a Star Wars fan? And sometimes yeah, and sometimes no. But yeah, she was. She's like yeah. And she turns around and she shows me the back of her neck. It's a tattoo of the Mythosaurus uh, skull. Oh, yeah, that and, little insignia for yeah, the Mandalorian. Not only that, she pulls out pictures on her phone where she has Mandalorian armor she has made. <laughs> wow. So she's been to, like, Cincinnati. She's uh, all these big Comic-Cons she goes to. So we were talking back and forth. I basically gave her, you know, our show name and everything and our, yeah. our email address. But, uh, yeah, it was, was kind of funny. I think she's a fan then. Yeah, I hope, yeah, I hope she does. <laughs> then, but, but she thought uh, she didn't know about the free trial. Oh, she. I said, "Have you seen it yet?" And she said, "I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting until tomorrow to get paid." Right. I said, "There's a f- free month. Go download." And she was like, "Bye." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like, look, this is not an expensive service. Like seven dollars a month, you spend more than seven dollars just going on a Whopper drive through. Yeah, like <laughs> going through Burger King and spending nine bucks at the least. So, um, I think it's totally worth it. I mean, the 4K HDR presentation of this show and. Um, I mean, this show, and we'll talk about this on our other podcast, but um, watching the original trilogy in 4K HDR Mm -hmm. has been a treat for me the last couple of days, too. I haven't Um, dug into that. I dug into Clone Wars. Yeah, but this is is an awesome show. Um, I think the worst part about it is that it's so short. I mean, by the end of the half hour, I'm just like, man, I need more. But, I mean, really, I guess that's a good problem to have. No, absolutely. They got got you one, you know, chomping at the bit to come, you know, to come back on Friday. Yeah, so pull off work on Friday to watch it first thing in the morning. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so speaking of which, join us next week because we will talk about episode three um, after that airs this upcoming uh, Friday, uh, November the 22nd is when that uh, episode three will air. Uh, yeah, so this has been Dadnarok Presents, a weekly Mandalorian review podcast. Uh, this is Sean. And this is Chris. Hope you guys enjoyed. See you next week. Uh-huh.